But just thanks everyone for, for a great, a great year. And then I began to think about 2015 and I began to think about, you know, the week that we were engaged in, right? We were in the middle of the holiday week and this thing that, uh, the United States calls Christmas. You know, Christmas is not found in the Bible anywhere. There is a story in the Bible that people associate with Christmas, and that is the birth of Christ. Found, a, you know, most uh, mostly in Luke chapter 2 is the, is the story that most people use. And I got to thinking about this little thing right here, keeping Christ in Christmas. And then the more I thought about that, the more I'm, I thought about, well, does Christ even know what Christmas is or even want to be in Christmas? Because that's not something he instituted, right? He said this was what was important. He said, remember my death, not necessarily my birth. But his birth is in the Bible. And it's a very interesting story. And so I got to thinking about that and I I thought about, you know, some other verses and it talks about, it talks about holidays and it says, therefore let no one pass judgment on you, on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath in Colossians chapter 2. And then Romans chapter 14 says, one person esteems one day as better than another. While another esteems all days alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. So I've come to this conclusion, this is my conclusion, that it really doesn't matter as long as you keep the Lord in it, right? As long as your focus is on Jesus, whether you esteem one day over another doesn't matter. You choose to do that, do that. But do it in praise and do it in honor in honor to the Lord. So I reestablished my title of the sermon, and I really wanted to talk about something I think Michael talked about a few months ago, and that's this concept of Christ or Jesus as being the center and focal point, being preeminent, in our lives, being focused on Him. Because I think that's where our attention needs to be in order to make this journey that we call life. In order to get to the end game, we're going to have to be focused on Him and we're going to have to keep Him in His preeminence. I wanted to use uh, the story of His birth as uh, the background for us to try to Put him in the proper place. So let's start with this concept here. We find the baby Jesus was prophesied about in the Old Testament and then in Matthew, early in Matthew and early in the book of Luke in Luke chapter 2. We find a lot of these prophecies starting to come to place, come into existence. <clears throat> and I'm a mathematical minded kind of a guy, so I looked at what I found somebody that had done a lot of research on the probabilities of each of these coming into existence or each of these happening. And so Christ to be born in Bethlehem, it happens in Matthew chapter 2, 1 in 280,000. That's not too impressive, 1 in 280,000. That means a lot of people were born in Bethlehem. And there was, there has been since a lot of people born in Bethlehem, that there would be a forerunner to Christ. We find in Mark chapter 1, this guy called John the Baptist, one in a thousand. Again, not, not very, not very big odds. Christ went into Jerusalem riding a donkey. Apparently a lot of people did that. One in a hundred came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. 
Not too impressive there. Christ to be betrayed by a friend. Psalms uh, prophesied that. Judas betrayed Jesus. Apparently about one in every 1,000 people betrayed their friends. Christ to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. One in a 1,000. That those 30 pieces of silver would be cast down and used to buy a potter's field. One in a 1,000. That although innocent, Christ kept silent in His trial. Again, one in a 1,000. That Christ would be crucified. One in 10,000. The problem is that Christ did all of those. So it's not one person doing any one of them. So what are the odds that one person fulfills all eight of those prophecies in his birth and his life? Well, those are uh, something different. And that's eight of the prophecies. I don't know, there's like 27 or 28 zeros behind that 10. That's a big number. He fulfilled 300, not just eight. He fulfilled 300 prophecies in his birth and in his life. So you see this Jesus is something that intellectually and logically we can have faith in. So when the Bible says that we're to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, the mind part can take some reassurance in the fact I can love I can love him intellectually because he fulfilled logically all of this stuff. And there's a, there's books, there's books and libraries written on how his life did all of these and how it fulfilled all of these. And so you might say, "Man, Yancey, I get it. This baby Jesus was prophesied and 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 I understand that and that helps put him in his proper place for me." And you'd be right. But there's still something even bigger. You see, because the baby Jesus was also the Messiah. He was a Savior of the world. And you're right, okay, yeah, it's his heart, soul, and mind. So yeah, my soul loves him because my my soul was saved by him. And, and this Messiah, he was the Son of God. He was born of a virgin. He's somebody that I can have an intimate relationship with. He's somebody I can pray to. He's somebody that answers my prayers. And he saves my soul. He can be my best friend. I get it. I'm starting to build him up in my mind. I'm starting to get the preeminence. I'm starting to feel this Savior in my life. And you'd be right. He is the Savior. He was the Messiah. But there's something even bigger. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember. In the Bible, he's called Emmanuel. He's called God with us. He was the Almighty God that was reigning in heaven and He left that place of prominence and He humbled Himself. God Almighty came to this earth in the form of a child and was born. Yes, now we're starting to understand. We're starting to put some... He was God. He left the throne. The angels didn't understand it. Satan certainly didn't understand it. If he'd understood it, he never would have crucified Him, right? So we know that there's this concept and there's there's this song called Oh Holy Night. And I've I listened to it and I've re-listened to it. And just the first verse just um, puts a knot in my throat. Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. You see, our soul really didn't have that much value 
until the Almighty God came to this earth and died for it. That's what gave it its value. He came to this earth from the throne and died for your soul. That's when it became valuable. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angels' voices. O night divine, and you can read the rest of it. Fall on your knees is a pretty common theme when people come into contact with the Lord. Pretty common. Let's look at some of those. So Emmanuel, meaning God with us, I'm starting to get it. But but it's even more, right? It's more than just God coming. It's more than just that birth. The Lord is great and deserves our praise, the psalmist says. No one can fully understand His greatness. So however big you can conceptually understand that the Lord is, He's bigger than that. I know that because it says we can't even fathom it. We can't understand it. So however big you can make Him, it's interesting, I was playing video games this week with my nephews and they were teaching me how to kill all these bad guys and all this stuff. And, um, you know, you could buy armor and you could get more experience and you could get to the point that I was just walk, walking through the map and just swiping people off. I had started to develop this God complex, man. Nobody could kill me. Nobody could hurt me. They had told me how to get all the best armor and how have all the best weapons and how to how to build my guy to where he was all powerful in this map. And I got to thinking that we think that of ourselves, right? We think that of ourselves. We think we can walk through this world and just take it on ourselves. And we think that because we see people doing it. We play games and we... I'm not blaming the game, but I'm just saying we get this concept that as human beings, we're in control of something. We think we're in control of our own destinies. We think we're in control of our own lives. We think we're in control of the breath we're going to take the next one, and we're not. God is in control of all of that. So when we start building this picture, it will demand that we change our lives into something that God would want it to be. That's what he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's that simple. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the Bible tells us the way that we're supposed to act. And so as we start as we start making God big, and I told Michael, I said, Man, I've thought so much of I've thought so much about what I was going to say today that I've got a million ways I can go. So <laughs> there's no telling how long I'll be up here. But um quit doing that, Christy. Um so as you start building this 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 mind your mind of what God can be recognize that it is a beautiful and powerful picture and the better you're able to build it in your head the better able you're you are to fall in love with it and to want to be with it you see there's there's something going on up there That's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our ability to understand. 
And when you start building it the right way, you're going to start going, I, I want to go see what that is. I don't care about what's going on here anymore. I want to go be with the supernatural. I want to go see the legions of angels that are praising the Lord every day, all the time. I want to go there. I don't care about this. This is the low ground of sin and sorrow. That's something special. And if we can get that in our head, it will change the way we live our lives. There won't be these questions about, you know, I've heard, uh, I, I get these questions all the time. Where does it say in the Bible that I've got to go to church every time the church goes on? Where does it say I've got to do this? Where does it say I've got to do Where, Wrong questions. I heard a preacher say this, and I, I didn't know if I would use it this morning, but it's really not about you. Get over yourself. It's about the Almighty God in heaven that created you as a being to worship Him. That's what it's about. It's not about your 401k. It's not about the house I'm building. It's not about the new car. It's not about the cattle on a thousand hills. Dad. It's, not about, it's not about all those things. It's about the Almighty God. That's probably going to run me about ten minutes over there. <clears throat> so let's talk about some of those, some of the people that have seen Jesus. Exodus chapter 33 Moses um, is talking to the Lord and he said, Lord, I'd like to see you. He'd seen his essence in the burning bush and he'd heard his voice. He says, Lord, I'd like to see you. And the Lord said, Moses, in your current form, you can't see me. The human being's body cannot take the full on view of the Lord. You can't. I, you can't see me face to face. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make a deal with you. I'll put my hand over your eyes. I'll pass by. And you can just see my glory from behind. That's the best I can do. And so that's what he did. He put him in the cleft of a rock. And he guarded him until he passed by and he could see his glory. Because we can't even, in our human bodies, we can't even see the Lord. I don't know what would happen. We'd blow up. We'd disintegrate. I think of the... The lost Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? When they opened the ark and the thing flew through and everybody just, it just disintegrated their body. I don't know what would happen, but the Bible tells us that we can't see His glory face to face. Job chapter 42, the end of Job. We recognize Job is the most right, the Bible says it was, you know, one of the most righteous men that lived. All of his possessions had been taken away. He'd been physically assaulted by the devil. All of that. He'd argued with his friends. He'd philosophied. And in chapter 42, he catches a glimpse of God and he said, I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. He caught a glimpse and he said, I hate myself. I abhor myself because of the glory of God. He made that comparison. He said, I abhor myself. Paul Jeremy brought this up when we talked about it last week. Paul on the road to Damascus to get those letters, to go to go um, bind the Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. Catches a glimpse of Jesus, the brightness above the noonday sun. Falls on his knees, blinded. You see, when we come into view of the Lord, it's going to be something special. 
It's not going to matter how much armor you got on. It's not going to matter what kind of weapons you've got. You're coming face to face with the Almighty God naked. And your life is going to be revealed and you're going to be judged. There's going to be no preparations that you yourself can do. It's only by His grace and by His blood and by becoming a Christian that you can stand with any kind of a shield. And that shield is this baby Jesus that was born. It's His blood. That's the only shield that protects you from God when you come into His sight. John the Revelator was talking with Iva this morning. She said, I'm starting to read Revelations and wow, it's, uh, it's hard to understand and what's your take on that? And I said, well, I'd, in five minutes it was this and I told her my take on Revelations. But John the Revelator in Revelations chapter 1, it says as he sees Jesus, it says he fell on his knees. Now recognize who John was. John was the apostle that Jesus loved. John was the apostle that stood at Jesus' feet at the cross. And Jesus said, John, take care of my mom. I'm leaving. Take care of mama. And John looks up and he says, he fell on his knees as dead. You see, it's bigger than just the baby Jesus being born in a manger. It's bigger than Him just being our Savior. It's bigger than Him being God coming. It's bigger. Whatever it is, it's bigger. And finally, in Isaiah chapter 6, I'd like to read that if I can. I'm a little teary-eyed. I don't know if I can read it or not. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is about to become uh, one of the greatest prophets, I guess, that ever lived. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzzah died, I saw also the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah, again, he's about to become this prophet and he's granted this vision. And there's these these seraphims flying around. And they got six wings and two of them are covering their face. I'm proposing because they were in the presence of the Almighty God and they couldn't look on Him because of His glory. Two covered His feet. Those were covered because the feet were considered, uh, it was considered disrespectful. And so out of respect, they covered their feet. And two of the wings, they flew. Two of the wings, they used to fly. And they're flying around this throne and they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they're crying so loud that the foundation is shaking, the pillars are shaking, and the whole room is filled with smoke. 
And Isaiah goes, Woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, whatever picture we can build in our mind, it's bigger than that. Those are just words on a page that these prophets were able to write down to give us some kind of a poetic, picturesque, figurative look into what it's really going to be like. Don't you want to be there? I heard a preacher one time um, talking about this, and he said that he'd just done a funeral, and he said that he'd heard um, people uh, saying, well, they've gone on to be with the Lord, and they're looking down on us. Looking down on us. And that's a that's a nice sentiment. But if they're truly with the Lord... My guess is they're not looking down on us. They're looking at that. I mean, what do they look down and say, Oh, there's Jeremy driving the bus. <laughs> there's Yancey on his way to work. There's Yancey at his computer. Isn't he cute? You, are you kidding me? There's six-winged animals up there flying around. There's smoke, there's fire, there's this almighty God that we can't even see. And it's in his, I doubt they're looking down on what we're doing down here as much as that comforts us sometimes. I bet they've got better things to do, which might give some logical, might explain the fact that there's no marriage and all that stuff in heaven. That man, it's just going to be so different. It's going to be so glorious. It's going to be so great that whatever happened down here, it's going to be, it's going to be so tiny. It's going to be so infinitesimal that we won't even care to remember it because we're going to be in the presence of the Almighty God. So when you think about 2015 and you think about moving forward. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4, a favorite verse of the, or some favorite verses of uh, the Jewish religion. In fact, the writing on the the right hand side there, the picture is the mezuzah. And the mezuzah is um, this part right here. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So they write this stuff out in and um, again, the Jewish got, the Jewish people are very big into uh, genealogy, and everybody's got their part. And so, certain people, only certain people, can write out the mezuzah. And you take that mezuzah nowadays, and they put it in these little boxes. They scroll them up, and they put them in a box, and they put them on their doorpost. Started to put some pictures up of those. And most of the Jews, a lot of times when they walk in, they put them about, they put them about shoulder height. They walk into their house, they'll kiss the mezuzah as they walk into their house. But the mezuzah says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. 
That was in the New Testament in Deuteronomy. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And so, I tried to take those three things this morning. I tried to use Christ's birth as an example. So when you think about loving with all your mind, that's the, that's the prophecies, that's the logical, that's the intellectual piece. It should intellectually and logically make sense. And we're to love the Lord because of that. There's this soul piece, the Messiah that came and died for us, that grants us eternal life, that grants us salvation. And then there's the heart piece, right? That God that left the throne. And we talked about what goes on up in there in that heavenly vision. And He left all of that. He left the millions of angels that are worshiping Him every day. He left all of that. Became a little baby. And became our Savior. And went to the cross. And gave us salvation. So we're to love Him with all of our heart. And all of our soul. And all of our mind. That's the lesson of the morning. I hope that it, I hope that it did for you what it did for me. Um, it was meant for me to be a reflection on Jesus, especially this time of year. And so, whether you celebrate Christmas or whether you don't, I don't think is important. But that you have Jesus as the preeminent part of your life, and that you keep Him in those things. And the Christmas for me makes it very difficult, right? Because Christmas is, for me, it's a very pagan and a very selfish time of year, right? It's all about what kind of gift am I going to get? And did I get the right size of this? And did I get the right this? And don't shop for me, I'll shop for myself. And we get all wrapped up in very selfish motives surrounding Christmas. So be careful with that. Christmas as Jesus would want us to celebrate it, that miraculous night, that night that was so divine that He came to this earth and He changed the course. You see, Jesus was with them in the garden. And we sinned and we fell away. And then He maintained a relationship with them in the most holy of holies. And He walked with the children of Israel in the most holy of holies in that place that they could only one person could go into once a year. And then Jesus left heaven and came to earth to walk beside us. To walk beside us and to show us the way. And He said, guess what? When I leave, I'm going I'm to set up a system where a little piece of me can be with you. And that's through baptism when we get the Holy Ghost that enters us. We get a little piece of God to walk around with us as Christians. He's with us until He comes again. And so He's always been with us through the course of, the course of time, and He always will be with us. This morning, if you have not obeyed, if you've not become a Christian, we give you that opportunity this morning. If you're a Christian and maybe you didn't have, maybe you didn't have Christ in the right frame of mind. Maybe that preeminence piece, maybe I've just been walking through life and thinking about 
myself and my family and my, I, me, my, right? Building bigger barns, tearing down the old ones, building bigger barns. Maybe that's kind of the mindset. And it's easy to do, especially in the U.S. of A. Maybe that's where you've been. And God wasn't a focus. Maybe you need the prayers of the church for that. Maybe you just need to go home and rewrite your plan for 2015. I don't know. Maybe you're on the right track. Maybe you don't need to do anything. I know I've got some adjustments to make. Because for me, as I reflected, I was like, man, I don't have all the priorities in all the right places for 2015. I've got to make some adjustments. If we can help you this morning, we'd love to do that if you'd come while we stand and sing.